Welcome to week one of our Experiencing God study. Uh, is this, if this is your first week here, you might say, well, what is Experiencing God? It is a study that Henry Blackaby wrote uh, probably 30 years ago. That's just off the top of my head. It's been around a while. But it's all about deepening your relationship with God, hearing from God, and responding to Him. So during our Sunday morning worship, we're going to be examining Blackaby's claims in light of Scripture because just because a pastor said it doesn't mean that God has spoken. But if we find the same truth in Scripture, we can be much more sure that, hey, this is, this is true because God said it. And we can be encouraged and affirmed because this isn't something that Blackaby made up. This isn't something that he moved out of context in the Bible. No, these are principles that he's presenting to us from God's Word. So if you're not in a small group or if you don't have the workbook, uh, Sunday mornings is a way that you can still be part of our church community and follow along with what God is teaching us uh, through these principles of what it means to have a relationship with Him. We often use those terms to describe our God, that we have a relationship with God, a personal, real living God who's in relationship with us. Um, but that's the purpose of this study is so that each one of us individually and then collectively as a church, we can grow deeper into experiencing that relation. It's relationship. It's not just something we say, but it's something that we experience. So Blackaby talks about a lot of different aspects, a lot of different truths about what it means to walk with God and have relationship with Him. But the one that will focus on this week is that the Bible is our guide. So he says the Bible is foundational for our relationship with God. And he asks a bunch of questions, questions that many of us have asked, like, what is God's will for my life? How does God want to work through me? What can I expect from my relationship with God? And, and what he says is that the Bible is foundational to answering all of those questions. And so he says that Christians... But, but then he speaks to our situation, even though the Bible's foundational, he says that oftentimes Christians are becoming more and more unfamiliar with what it means to actually use the Bible as a guide for their daily living. Instead, they turn to worldly solutions, programs, and methods that appear to be answers to their spiritual problems. But what Blackaby is saying is that we really should be turning to God and listening to his word in order to resolve the deepest needs of our lives. So that's what we're going to be doing on Sunday mornings. We're going to be examining God's Word. And today, I want us to see what should we expect to find. If we go to the Bible as our guide, where is the Bible going to take us? Does God tell us where He's taking us? Or does He just say, you know, I'm going to take you somewhere? No, in fact, He tells us. And so in Luke 24, we're going to find exactly where the Bible is guiding us. So I'm going to begin in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24 and read this passage. You can follow along in your Bibles or it should be on the screens beside me. Begins by saying, That very day, two of them, which this passage is about two followers of Jesus, they weren't part of the twelve, but Jesus had more than the twelve disciples as his followers. These two were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And don't worry, you'll get to know what had happened as we keep reading. 
And while they were talking and discussing together about the current events, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to Jesus, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. These disciples continued to tell Jesus about all the things that had happened. These women amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, Christ, they didn't see. And so during that time, women were not valid witnesses in a court of law. So these guys were clearly, this was the end of their rambling to Jesus of what had happened, even though Jesus clearly knew all of these events. He was there because it was about him. But here's where they stopped the rambling, and they, were one, and they just left it as a big question mark. The women said this, but the guys, the disciples who went to the tomb, found it like the women said, but they didn't see him there. And so Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to these two guys in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that, that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, to Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So what does this passage tell us about Scripture? It tells us that all of Scripture is pointing to Christ. And first we see at the beginning of this passage that an understanding of Scripture, which these two guys definitely had, but an understanding of Scripture without Christ, that's a really sad place to be. And they were sad because of the recent events, they were sad because their eyes had prevented them from seeing Jesus. And they were ultimately sad because they were discouraged over the most discouraging of all possibilities. They thought, maybe God really isn't with us. That We'd hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And so this shows us that knowing what the Bible says is not enough. 
they needed and they wanted the person behind the scriptures, the person to whom the scriptures came from and to whom the scriptures pointed. They needed the Lord. And in the middle of their sadness, Christ came alongside of them and showed them a source of joy that they can have long after he's not physically present with them anymore. And that source of joy is through discovering Christ in his word, in the scriptures. And so the second thing we see of how this passage points us to Jesus, or how it shows us that the scriptures point to Jesus, is that Christ is the one who leads anyone to understand the scriptures. These guys couldn't do it on their own, and we can't understand God's word on our own. Look at how he led them. He led them by listening. Even though they were rude to him, and Cleopas said, are you the only one who hasn't heard about the things that have happened? Even though they were rude, Jesus listened. And even though Jesus already knew everything that was going on, he listened to them. And he listened because he ultimately wanted to lead them somewhere in this conversation. He wanted to lead them to himself through the scriptures. He wanted them to know how to find him, how to be encouraged by him, and how to see him through the word of God. And then, after listening, he led them by direct teaching. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? He said, this had to happen. And why? Because of the scriptures. He began with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this is the main point of the story. Everything else Jesus said in this passage was a question. So what are you talking about? What things have happened? Here is where Jesus gives his teaching. After they open their hearts and show him why they're sad, their hopes had been dashed in their perspective of who the Christ was, he gives them hope by pointing them back to how they can see him, not only there in the scriptures, but every single day for the rest of their lives, even after he's ascended into heaven. They can experience Christ in the scriptures. And that is a huge point. And so I kind of want to, I feel like I'd be doing you an injustice if I just said, see, Luke 24 teaches that Jesus is the point of the Bible. If I couldn't prove to you from the rest of scriptures that Jesus is the ultimate point of the whole Bible. And so let's look at some other places. First, we'll start in the New Testament. John 5, 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, and he tells them, and these guys had the scriptures memorized. I mean, they knew the scriptures better than, in my opinion, many scholars today. They knew the words of the scriptures, but not the point of the scriptures. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And in Matthew 5, Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he was reestablishing what God's, what God's law meant. That this is what blessedness really looks like. Life in the kingdom. And some of the people, after receiving the first few verses of his teaching, they were probably wondering, well, is this guy like abolishing everything that we knew in the law and the prophets? Jesus answers their question before it can come out of their mouth. says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets he didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this huge claim that he's making and that 
that, that Jesus is the point of the whole Bible can be found throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we move to John 1, where John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. This is all about Christ. So when God made the heavens and the earth, Christ is God, and he made the heavens and the earth. The Word is Jesus. Or if you skip ahead into Exodus, when God delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt, he did it by passing over them and killing the firstborn of everyone unless the blood of the lamb was marked over their doorpost. And then when Jesus comes into the picture, John the Baptist cries, Behold, this is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He delivers us out of slavery to sin. Our sins are passed over, not because of anything that we do, but because his blood has marked our lives. We belong to him. Or if you go to the law, even the law, like the book of Leviticus, points us to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled, meaning he didn't break any of the laws that you find in books like Leviticus. And these books are filled with rules. And one such rule is found in Leviticus 17, where Moses is giving God's commands to God's people. And he says, any Israelite or foreigner that lives among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and doesn't bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord, they must be cut off from the people of God. He goes on to say that God is going to set his face against any Israelite or foreigner who eats blood because the life of a creature is in the blood and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So, this teaching is basically that sacrifices first have to be, be done just the right way, God's way, for them to be acceptable. And then secondly, God made it clear that the only way to make one's life right is by blood. Blood must be spilt for atonement of sins to be made. And Christ not only did all of this law, like what was, what was commanded, but he spilt his blood. And so this, this law is actually works as a prophecy that points us to Christ. So 1 Peter 1.19 says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, that his blood makes atonement for our life. And we're only made right with God through the blood of Christ. If we looked at the period of the kings in the Old Testament, we'd see that even the best kings had shortcomings, and most of the kings were just really terrible. But all of those kings pointed ahead to, to King Jesus who would ultimately reign forever. The message of the prophets was a message of judgment and mercy. And so when Christ was killed on the cross, God displayed at the same time his judgment of sin and his offer of mercy for sinners. The wisdom literature shows that wisdom is only found in God. And then in Colossians 2, Paul writes that in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. So all of the Old Testament points us ahead to Christ. All the New Testament points us back to Christ. What we need the most is Christ. And what God gives us, what he uses the Bible to guide us to, is Christ. Every part of the Bible finds its ultimate fulfillment in him. So as I was thinking about this, the Bible really is one big story. 
And to illustrate, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. When I'm like just chilling and watching TV or watching a movie, I have a really hard time stepping away from the show. Uh, I have a hard time if someone is trying to talk to me because I'm really like tunnel vision with the show. I want to finish it because I know if I, if I lose concentration and start thinking about something else, I could miss an important piece of the story. And the Bible is one big story. If we, if, if we exclude the Old Testament, if we exclude the prophets, if we exclude the wisdom literature, or if we just focus on one of those without seeing how they all fit together, we're going to miss part of God's revelation of himself to us. And here's the problem with illustrations like me kind of being zoned in on, on whatever I'm watching is eventually every illustration breaks down and this illustration breaks down at least at the point that I don't need that story. We all need this story. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, we need this story because we need the one that it's pointing us to. We need Christ. And Christ could have just taught, hey, all scripture points to me without any miracles, but he decided to perform two miracles in this passage to confirm what he taught. And so miracles are used in scripture not to impress, but to prove a point. And his point was that the scriptures point to him. And so the first miracle that God did was that he opened their eyes and he recognized them because we can't recognize Jesus apart from God's revelation. And then the second miracle happens right after it in verse 31. Jesus vanished from their sight, which he did occasionally, according to the Gospels, after he was resurrected, after he got the new body from being resurrected from the dead. And we can get a right understanding of our life and what's happening in our life only after we understand what life is about. The scriptures tell us the one life is all about. They tell us about Christ. And it wasn't until those two guys had their eyes opened did they realize what happened on the road to Emmaus when their hearts were burning within them. They, they didn't know how to understand that event. But then in verse 32, after their eyes were opened, they, they, were, they realized that, oh, what happened was we were impressed by Christ in the scriptures. They were... The, the scripture doesn't record that they were amazed at the miraculous exit, but they were amazed at the good news. And they could only interpret their experience after they understood what God's truth really said to them. And when we understand what God's truth says, we have to take immediate and intentional action. They took immediate action by returning to Jerusalem. They spent the whole day walking to Emmaus. They got there at night, remember, because Jesus wanted to keep going, and they're like, no, it's night. And then they decided to go back where they came from. They basically wiped out their whole day's work because they heard from God, and they knew when they heard from God that it required immediate action and intentional action. They went back to Jerusalem because they knew everyone else needed to hear this good news. They needed to hear that Christ was alive. And they didn't question, oh, well, did we really experience that? Was that just a vision? Because once we realized he was there, once, once our minds were open, he was gone. No, they knew it because they understood that God's word said it must happen this way. 
They understood Christ, not just because of their experience on the road, but because they now understood that all of the scriptures pointed them to Christ. And what happened when they returned to Jerusalem? Well, they had this great news to bring, but all the people in the room actually said, guess what? Jesus is risen. He's really risen, and he's appeared to Simon. So only after they heard their story, the, the, the 12 in the room or the many that were gathered there, did they get a share? Oh, yeah, and we, we heard it too. We heard it through Christ opening the scriptures to us. Now we see that it had to happen according to the scriptures. So an application for us today is that Jesus is the one who changes us, but the most reliable guide to the one who changes us is the scriptures. Think about how these guys were changed throughout the story. At the beginning, they looked sad. At the beginning, they were going to Emmaus. At the beginning, they thought they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the point of the scriptures. Now they're not sad anymore. They're not going to Emmaus, and they're not confused anymore either. Jesus changed them. He is still changing us today. How's he change us? Well, scripture guides us to him. And when we see him, we worship. We're changed. But are we living like we need him? Because this, this is a person that we need. Jesus is our ultimate need. Relationship with him is what we're made for. But oftentimes it's easy to live like we don't need him. And one practical application there is, if the Bible is our guide to Jesus, then are we using that guide? Because whether we use it or not, and how it impacts us, shows how much we really think that we need him. Another practical application is that Christ should be shaping our mind. These guys only understood the events of their life after Christ opened their mind to understand that he is the point of the scriptures. So we need to understand that Christ is the point of our lives and everything else can only find its proper place in light of understanding that he's the ultimate point. And so, for example, you can seek God on what church he wants you to commit to. Wherever he's calling you to worship, he's calling you to participate in the ministry. And wherever God calls you to, we are all for you going there. It's not about orchard. This is about you hearing from God and knowing where he's calling you to commit. You can correctly understand your position in life now because God will reveal to you what he wants from you right now as, he, as you go through your relationship with him. For example, your job. He didn't just give you your job for you to make money and for you to be comfortable. He wants to use you wherever you are in your job. And your friends and family, they're not just for your comfort, although I hope they do provide you some comfort and encouragement. He desires to use those relationships for his purpose, for his mission to be accomplished. We, sp we spent the first month, month and a half of our time together looking at the Great Commission and the passages surrounding it. That's what God is doing in the world. He wants to make disciples who come to obey him in everything that he's commanded and who make other disciples. Disciples make disciples. And that's what he's doing in our job and our friends and family. Blackaby says that God is at work all around us and our job is to join him where he's at work. But in order to know where God's at work, we have to pursue an intimate love relationship with God because that's what ultimately he's most, uh, he's most about. That's what he's doing is pursuing the love relationship with us. 
And we can engage in that love relationship as we know him. We can know him through the scriptures. So experiencing God, that's, that's a jump start for us as a church, but it's far from the end. And even after we finish the study, the goal of it will continue because we can experience God every day we pick up the Bible because Christ is the ultimate point of every part of the Bible. And every person in this room can have a deep relationship with God where God uses them in great ways, but it all starts with Jesus. It doesn't start with your effort. It starts with Jesus initiating with you. And so have you trusted that Jesus paid the price for your failures, that he's alive and that he's the king of the universe? Is he the king of your life? If he's not, why not? Why not today? And after it starts with Jesus, maybe you're like, yes, I've made that decision. What happens? Well, it continues with Jesus. None of us, like Joshua said, none of us can do anything good apart from Christ. We need to hear from our king if we're serious about living in his kingdom. And it'll all finish with Jesus. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is king. But don't wait for that day because you'll only find life to the fullest as you live your life in the kingdom of Jesus under his authority now. And if you have questions about that or you want to talk, you can find me after the service or join a small group. This isn't something that we're meant to do in isolation. That's why we're doing this study in community, in our small groups. But let the Bible guide you and know that ultimately who it's guiding you to is the person of Christ. The Bible is all about Jesus because life is all about Jesus. And you can experience him in all of your life as he is at work in you and through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. Thank you that we can see you in all of Scripture, that Scripture points us to you, because you're the one that we need. God, I pray that as we see you, we'd worship you. We'd confess our sins. We'd put you in the high and exalted place that you deserve, and that we would obey you. When you tell us to do things, we'd say yes. And that our lives would never be the same because you're a God who makes a real difference moment by moment. Talk to God about the Bible being your guide to Christ.